All right, so picking back up in Genesis, our study, Genesis, God and Man. And today, um, I had grandiose plans and maybe I got carried away, but we're only going to get through, I think, 10 verses? Yeah, I wanted to get through 16, but I think we're only going to get through 10. And I'll try not to keep you more than four hours, because I know you all have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> But we saw, you know, uh, well, I'm sorry, the title of today's message is uh, The Lord Said to Noah, Come into the Ark. The Lord said to Noah, Come into the Ark. We saw in Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, God said when he made the universe and made the earth. In Genesis 2, we see the the word change, the name change to the Lord said, to Yahweh, made man. And we see that there's that intimate connection. When, When God forewarned and instructed Noah in the Ark building, it was, it was God, it was uh, Elohim, I believe. And uh, here it's Yahweh. That God, I believe, comes in closely this time to say, Noah, it's time. It's time. You know, but uh, I've been thinking about responsibility a lot lately. Um, I think it's the Lord, I think it's also me being a little neurotic, but what does it mean to be responsible for something? Well, just to look it up to get uh, Google's definition of it. Um, because, you know, Google is the end-all, be-all and everything, right? But it says, the state or fact of having a duty to deal with something or having control over someone. You know, women bear children and take responsibility for child care, as an example. Uh, synonyms, authority, control, power, leadership. A job with greater responsibility. It also means the state or fact of being accountable or to blame for something. The group had claimed responsibility for a string of murders, of blame, fault, guilt, culpability, or liability. Also, uh, they denied responsibility for an attack. Another definition could be the opportunity or ability to act independently and make decisions without authorization. You know, uh, you have that authority given to you, that responsibility, where you don't need to go ask your boss every time you want to add another page to the report, or whatever it is you do. You, you have that responsibility given to you already. Um, you know, an expectation for you to fulfill it. Uh, a thing that one is required to do as part of a job or a legal obligation. But it's also a moral obligation to behave correctly toward or in respect of. Um, you know, I, there were some police officers at the fair yesterday that showed us the dogs and stuff. And I tried to be very polite to the police officers to show respect the uniform. I don't know them. They weren't necessarily the friendliest guys, but respect the authority. And I hope that today's message isn't a guilt trip. It's not a burden. If it is, you know, I felt a little guilty at the end. I definitely felt convicted, but I think that if, when we feel those things, not to shun them off, to shun responsibility, but maybe take them in and say, God, is, this, is there something here? Is there something I need to, to confess and be forgiven of? And as soon as we do that, I found like all of a sudden, I was like all heavy from like, man, the weight of this message. And at the end, I didn't feel so heavy anymore. And yet, I still feel like there is this sobriety here. And I, I don't necessarily, I know God has a word for each of us in the message this morning. But I don't necessarily mean it when I share the things I'm sharing. I mean it for, I think, maybe larger things of whole and not like specifically like, you know, I've been going through, you know, and thinking about you guys. And what can I, you know, not like that at all. So don't. Don't think I'm trying to come down heavy on us in particular. 
but I feel that uh, there is a responsibility that we each have as believers that God has given us. And I, I hope we get a glimpse of that today. But I think in our society, maybe, maybe us as well, maybe we tend to feel responsible for things that we aren't responsible for. You know, maybe you say sorry all the time. I tend to say sorry all the time. Sometimes it's unresponsible for it. You know, I was late this morning. That was my fault. My wife was ready to go. I wasn't. My, that's my fault. And, you know, she had to get rid of, you know, she had to take care of three kids as well. She got four people ready in less time than it takes me to get me ready. I don't know, and I, I cut my hair because I didn't want to be responsible for it anymore. I was sick of every day having to be responsible for it. Maybe I'll just shave it all off. But sincerely, you know, sometimes we feel responsible for things we aren't in this world. You know, like big government. Sometimes they feel responsible for every little decision in your life. You know, you, you can't get a soda over a certain amount of ounces in New York City. Like, really? Is that something that lawmakers really need to spend their time on? But also, I think, on the flip side of that, we shirk responsibility for things we really are. And I think these two kind of work hand in hand, where we try and take responsibility for things that we're not truly responsible for. At the same time, I don't want to be, re- I don't want to be responsible for that. I want to be responsible for this. And there's this, this flop side there. There's this lopsidedness there. I think, you know, in our nation, perhaps maybe it's parents not stepping up. Not being responsible for the kids. Oh, the school will take care of it. Or in Christianity, oh, the youth group will take care of it. Or the church will take care of it. Oh, that's the pastor's responsibility. Or that's my husband's. Or that's my spouse's. Well, you know, maybe there should be not such a clear division of labor there. Maybe you are responsible. You know, there's that saying, you see the need, you know, it's probably up to you to do the deed. I added that last part. But sincerely, sometimes you walk around and you go, well, that needs to be clean. Who's going to clean this? Yeah. Well, look around. <laughs> Who's the only one there? Well, it's you, buddy. I'm talking to myself. You know, I think that expecting someone else to do it is really this entitled mentality. I don't need to do it. I'm Prince so-and-so. Well, I think, you know, sincerely, that there's a responsibility for us as believers, and we need to be responsible for it. Uh, but we shouldn't feel burdened or responsible, again, for the things that we aren't responsible for. But, you know, that then begs the question, where are the lines drawn? You know, who is my neighbor? Who is my master? You know, out yesterday, I got to use my new toy, the, the leaf blower. Before that, it was weed whacking. And I finally got the whole on leaf blower. I kind of figured out the technique. I watched the video on the proper, like, way to do it. Because, you know, I'm lazy, so I try to figure out the most, the quickest way to get something done. Because I don't want to do it. I want to get it over with and go do, do something I want to do. But I got the yard done. You know, it's not perfect, but I'm like, it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, this isn't like uh, Buckingham Palace. And I noticed that my neighbor, my neighbor was outside, and he got home from work, I guess, and he was mowing the lawn, and there's all these clippings on his driveway. And I was going to go over there and do it, but then I saw him, you know, he was like right there, and he had his leaf blower. So I said, okay, you know, maybe I should have done it, I don't know, but anyway, you know, I don't, not that close to him yet, so I don't want to, like, you know, I'm treading lightly, I guess. But uh, sincerely, you know, I'm sitting there, and I was kind of like debating it for a minute, and if I'd just gone and done it, Maybe I would have been on the blessing instead of like wondering, is it really my responsibility to do it? You know, uh, I didn't know where the property line was when we first moved there. I'm like, do I trim this hedge or do I not trim this hedge? Do I trim this middle path between our driveway or not? And yesterday I found like a, there's like a stake post in the back. And I, it's like the only stake post there, they're not growing tomatoes back there. So like this has got to be like the property line. Uh, but again, you know, where does our responsibility draw? You know, uh, remember the, People ask Jesus the question, you know, well, then who is our neighbor, Lord? You know, like, who is your neighbor? 
Um, you know, but I think at the same time, um, God's going to draw these lines in our life. We really need to seek the Lord to draw the lines where our responsibility lies. Um, but I think so many times we take responsi- we can take responsibility for others before it becomes irresponsible. You know, you have that coworker who maybe is late all the time and you're coming to them. Well, after a while, you're not really doing them a service. You're not really doing your employer service. You're not really doing yourself service. You're covering, you know, maybe you're picking up the slack and your job is suffering. This person now has gotten away with it so long, they keep getting away with it, you know? Um, I don't know, you can probably think of a million examples, a family member, a spouse, you know? A bad relationship, you know, they just cover, oh, no, no, it's just the way it is. And, you know, at some point, you know, you're not really uh, being responsible anymore. It's irresponsible. And, in fact, you know, uh, you know it, it's, maybe it's taking over your life. Maybe it's hurting you now. Maybe you're doing it for yourself because you don't want to be responsible for the decision that has to be made or the things that need to be said or done. And, you know, again, you know, I'm doing the yard work yesterday. And uh, I've got the ear protection on, leaf flowers glowing, and my mind just, just goes. And I start thinking about responsibility, uh, you know, not having certain ones as a kid. Uh, you know, we had a yard until my parents got divorced. and lived in a condo, and there was no need to cut the yard because guys would come and cut it every couple of days. So it wasn't my responsibility. I remember mowing the lawn once as a kid. It was at my friend Matt's house because we had to before he could go and play. So I ended up helping them. Uh, but this was, like, my first time really actually blowing leaves. So it was kind of cool. I was trying to figure it out. <laughs> Uh, I was waiting for my neighbor to come over and say, you're doing it all wrong. Uh, but uh, I wish I had more responsibility as a kid. When I look back now, I, mean, I don't know that I would say that as a kid, but I would say that now. I think it would have taught me so much more. You know, uh, you know, I definitely started working early. I started working around 14 or 15, so that taught me responsibility to work and things. At least as far as, like, you got to make money, you got to do something. There's some sort of work ethic there. Um, but I wish I had more responsibility. I think I would have been better suited for the real world if I had those responsibilities. I would have been better able to balance my checkbook earlier. Or do, you know what I mean? All these little things that I don't necessarily learn in school could have been learned otherwise. But you know, when it came to doing the yard work yesterday, this is a long intro, bear with me. No one asked me to do it. Ashley didn't go, Tim, you gotta do the lawn today. You know, the landlord didn't call, is the lawn done yet? You know, it wasn't even looking that bad where like, People drive by and go, look at that house. <laughs> what a mess. Like, uh, you know, but the leaves are piling up. I know that only more leaves are going to come. I need to figure out if this leaf blower works. You know, I have to adjust the, the, the choke of the carp a little bit to get it to work. And, you know, I had to get it done. But no one was doing that. But it was hanging over my head because I knew it was my responsibility. I knew not only it was a responsibility on my lease, my landlord, but it's also a responsibility to the Lord. I need to be a good steward of this property that he's allowed me to be in. It's also my neighbors. If they come over and they see the yard complete, like, you know, obviously it's not pristine, but it's like, I'm not, you know, there's always more you can do, so to speak. But if they see that I'm upkeeping it, you know, it's not necessarily going to be a bad witness, you know. They're not going to go, man, that guy's really good at horticultural whatever. You know, my neighbor's out mulching and stuff. But there's that responsibility there. And I knew it needed to be done. It wasn't like a burden, but it was like, i got to get this done. Time's running out. Let me do it today because, you know, how the week goes. All of a sudden, it's another week, and you got to mow it again. Now the grass is twice as high, and the clippings, you know, it's like, it just turns into a mess. I'm no longer going to wait. But, you know, that's very different from the way I used to be. And I'm not saying that I've got it all figured out or got it done, but to me in the old way, I would, you know, I, you should have seen my room in high school. <laughs> you wouldn't know that there was a room under all that trash. It was like that scene in Star Wars when the 
walls come closer and they keep like, you know, there are things living in there. You know, it's like God has done a change in me and there's more to be done. There's more to be done. And I'm not, I don't always do it right. But what I'm trying to say is that I know that that's from the Lord because the only will let it grow up so that it's like, I got other things to do. I'm going to go play video games. I'm going to go out. I don't need to follow on. You know, spend my own money. You know, it's like, it's different. But being responsible, I think, is a good thing. And I think sometimes we view it as a burden, especially when we're growing up. Oh, I got chores to do. You know, but being responsible, it's a good thing. Uh, it's, it's part of being an adult. But again, you know, really thought of the responsibility as well. Uh, with all those thoughts, obviously, my mind wanders and goes down a path of these thoughts. But spiritually, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a coworker. But really, I'm a Christian. And that's my main responsibility is to do what God would have me to do. Specifically, things that you might tell me to do, but also just generally, don't steal. You know, that's God's law. I have a responsibility to that law, not to be saved by it, but to, and not live by it in the sense of you get your life from it, but really live by it. Like, hey, I'm going to hide your word in my heart that I might not sit against you, like the psalmist says. You know, uh, to do the, the right thing by my Lord, my wife, my children, other believers, the church, the Christian, really the Christian family. Um, even if no one is directly telling me to do so, I need to do it. Even if no one is telling you to do so, you need to do it. Because you're a child of God. You're saved. That's, that's it. Like, um, and it's up to me to do it. No one else is going to be the father of my family. Well, if I don't, some creep might step in and try and be the father of my family. And that's why these things happen sometimes. And not to say that God needs me or needs you. He doesn't need us in the sense where we need someone else. Like we need our social security check or whatever it is that we're dependent on. I'm not saying that's bad, but, but as a servant, there are things I need to do to be responsible, especially when no one's looking, when no one is specifically asking. It's one thing to not do it when they're not looking, but they ask you to do it, so you do it. But even when no one's asking, take, let's take it a step further. When there's no reward or payment that may ever be handed out, you know? My landlord may not care how often I mow the lawn, but it's important. I should care about it. I should care about it. And again, I'm making a mountain out of uh, a pile of leaves and grass here, but sincerely, I think there's something that we can, we can draw from there, you know? Are we, and am I, a Christian and just in word only or in deed? You know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the one who writes stuff like that. The guy who grew up around God thought he had it all together, and then after his brother, half-brother died on the cross and rose again, he goes, oh, wait a minute. Take care of orphans and widows. That's true religion. Not what I had, but taking care of other people. You know? But with that, with that Christian call, are we not in a war? And what are we doing? You know, I was watching this movie 13 Hours about the soldiers in Benghazi who were abandoned at their, uh, by our government. Uh, and I won't get into the politics of that. But there are other people being killed. Another, the ambassador was, uh, his compound were being overrun. And they had stand down orders. Don't go. All these other guys were like at other bases, chomping at the bit to go. They're, these guys at their base, a couple miles down the road, getting their armor on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. If, even if we don't have the okay, let's just get in the car and go to their door until you give us the okay. So we're right there. Like, and the guy's like, no, no, no. It's not your responsibility. You're not even supposed to be here. He's like, you know, I turn into this. It's, I encourage you to watch it. But you know what? They eventually would go. Eventually they said, that's enough. 
these people are being killed or overrun. They lit the place on fire. They're coming here next. So even if you can't give us uh, okay to go there and rescue them, we're going to go there because operationally you know where they're coming next is here. Um, and they did the right thing because they were ordained to do so, so to speak. But they were ordained by the government to be soldiers. They were trained even more so. The Bible says that God ordains the government uh, to execute justice. You know, I think of King David in these instances of a warrior and a king. But he was after God's heart because it was the only way for him. Like, the only way for these soldiers to do what was right is like, what they say is like, well, we're going to lose our jobs as they're speeding away. He's like, well, better, you know, you can't put a price on being able to live with yourself, one of the guys says the other guys. It's like, we're going to go do this because we need to do this. And we don't care what the cost is because it's the right thing. And again, you know, it's not about disobeying orders and stuff, but... You know, David was after God's heart, and he did things that other people looked on and wondered, can you really do that? Can you get away with that? You know, 2 Corinthians uh, 10, 3-8 says, so, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to pulling down our strongholds. And it goes on, casting down imaginations and every high thing. Um, and he goes on to say that if any man, uh, do you look on the things that are after the outward appearance if any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him himself think this again, that he is Christ, even so are we. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord has given us for edification, Paul's saying, we're Christ. God's given us authority. The authority is not to have it over each other, but that we might be edified, that we might go out and do this battle, because we're in a battle. And that earthly authority is given to us for a purpose, and that all Christians have authority, the duty, and the responsibility to do what God commands. Even if we haven't received a piece of paper with marching orders on it, I mean, we have. We received, I don't know how many pieces of paper in here with marching orders on it, but we haven't received it. We have. We have the word of God. We need to go. You know, Ephesians 6.12 talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these spiritual powers in high places that we're in war, guys. We are in war. You know, Joshua 24.15, I said this to my family the other day, and my wife will eventually make a painting when she gets through her list of orders. But it says, you know, if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God didn't say, hey, Joshua, are you going to serve me or not? Joshua knew. Joshua was like, this is it, guys. We're going to serve him. And guys, I think we're responsible. We're responsible. You know, like last week we talked, alluded to the parable of the talents. But I wonder, are we truly investing our earthly and heavenly gifts in God's kingdom? Are we bearing them, so to speak, in the church parking lot? Between the cushions of our couch, the, you know, at home, in our jobs, in the drawer? Do we come in and put our faith in the drawer? But really, is the word of God planned in your heart? I think a lot of times we think, oh, I'm too weak to do this. Well, God says, yeah, you are. That's the point. I'm going to do it through you. You know, maybe we're unskilled, but God doesn't need our skill. I don't know that Noah knew how to build a boat. It doesn't say that. God just told him, build an ark. God gave him all the plans, too, so I have to wonder, maybe Noah didn't really get it. But again, it's not about our strength. It's about his. It's about him doing the things in us that we can't do on our own, because then we know it's God. We know it's not us. And remember, guys, this is wartime. This is not peacetime, guys. This is whatever, the, you know... As peaceful as we have in this country, you know, I think about, they were talking in that movie, like, you know, there's like fighting going on, explosions, and there's a guy like watching the soccer game, like nothing's going on on the TV. It's like, man, this is a different world. It's a different world, like, these people live in a war zone, you know, like, here, it'd be different. 
But we're not to be cowering in the barracks or in the base, guys, waiting for a marching order. There are bombs exploding. There are people dying. There are bullets flying. Bases are being overrun. Borders collapsing. I don't, miss, I don't mean that like, you know, politically. I mean that in the church. I mean, things are coming into the church, coming into Christians' lives that should never have crossed that border, never have crossed that hedge. There are people defecting, turning from the faith. Get out there. Get out there. This is myself, too. We need to stop sitting around and wondering if it's you who are called. You're called. You're saved. It's you. It's me. The whole church. It's not specific to just us. It's the whole church. You know what? As we get to the end of our close here, halfway through our message, Noah heard the call. And Noah would heed the call because I believe Noah knew responsibility. Father, again, we just ask that you would bless your word and speak to us, we pray. God, we do ask for those marching orders, but Lord, we just want to follow you. And specifically, we don't need you to, to tell us over and over, or we shouldn't, God. So forgive us of that. Help us to just, just be alive in you. And thank you for that. Jesus. So let's read the first five verses here of chapter 7. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, and also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And some hurricane morning, he's got seven days to figure out, to get everything together, his last minute things. But it says, then the Lord said to Noah, like we talked about before, the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. You know, this idea of entering, coming in, this word come, even leading, to attack, to go, to be brought in, to cause to come, to gather, or to bring to pass. And God said, Noah, it's time. It's time. You know, can you hear God's voice in this? At least when I was reading it last night, I didn't hear God's audible voice, but I got a sense of maybe, maybe God's saying it quite somberly, quite soberly, and yet urgently. Noah, come into the ark. It's time to go, bud. Um, you know, like being called in as a witness for a murder trial. You know, I thought of, you know, that feeling maybe you're, you know, you've got to go into this trial, you're waiting out there, you've got your suit on, you're a little nervous. Time to go in, the door's open, you've got to go into the courtroom to take the stand because justice can be served. There's this the somberness, the sobriety, but it's time to go in and do what, what's right. But he says, you and all your household, because I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You know, that he was lawful, he was right, he was correct, like we looked at a few weeks ago. But Noah's obedience to God, without God even asking, I think his desire even to obey, his willingness to comply in the midst of, like the Bible talks about, a crooked and perverse generation, got the attention of his father, his God. You know, my kids, they want and they love my attention. They want their mom's attention. They're always like, oh, I miss mommy, I miss mommy. You know, like at night in their bed, you know, they want to go to bed, or go up their mom, whatever. Um, and I get that, that's cool, and rightfully so. They should want our attention. That's what we're here for, to give them love and attention. But when one of them gets my attention with something, sometimes they'll say something funny or tell me something they like, 
the other one will notice that they got my attention and they'll say the same exact thing. Like, oh, I like oranges too. Like, and I'm like, I know, I know why they're saying it. So, I, you know, I obviously give them the attention, affection, love. But it, it doesn't like have the same depth as the other one. But as far as like them sharing themselves with me other than looking for that attention. Um, uh, do I not meet both their needs for it? Of course. You know, does it not bless me that both want my attention? Of course. You know, but I'd rather hear, you know, what you really like. You know, don't tell me what just your brother or sister likes. Tell me what you really like. But you know what really gets my attention in a special way? When they start blowing things up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, aside from their little gifts and talents and little wonders that God has made them to be, it's not it's like, I should all the time look back and uh, do that. Even late at night after they've gone to bed, we start to miss them, I think. And we watch videos, look through old pictures occasionally. <laughs> Even on the day, we're just, oh, you know, it's you know, because God has made them uh, unique and beautiful. But you know what, what really gets my attention is when they act rightly, when they do accordingly, when they obey immediately without my asking. That's not the, the thing I'm looking for most out of them. But that gets my attention in a way that other things don't get my attention. You know, in my presence or even without expecting attention. When they do the right thing, they clean up or they help their brother or sister or whatever they do, without us even asking to catch them, or, you know, that gets my attention. You know, I think when they, you know, quote, unquote, naturally do it because it's right, expedient or good, or maybe perhaps they just love me or their mom, you know, they do it. They do it. I think that this was Noah in the sight of God. You know what? It saved his family, too. Noah, you and all your family, time to get in the ark. And do you know that your family depends on you and me to be a right example? Now, I'm not saying that they don't go to heaven, it's your fault. Or, you know, there's a guilt trip in there somewhere that I don't think the Lord would have for us, but yet we do have responsibility somehow, and I can't quite totally reconcile that, and so I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to try and do my best, you know, um, instead of sitting around pontificating all day over uh, while I blow the leaves. But, uh, you know, whether they believe it or not, whether they say it or not, sometimes it's affecting them, and they'll never say a word to you or me that it is. But God is using you. God is using you. Whether they like it or not, God saved you. You're in the family. You're it. <laughs> you're up. There's, you know, there's no new Bob. There's no new brother or sister being born. You know? Maybe not. I don't know. It depends on how old your parents are. But, <laughs> you know, what their life situation is. But sincerely, you're it. You're it. You know, Acts 16, uh, 26 uh, through 34. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it talks about uh, there was an earthquake. And uh, the jailer was about to kill himself because he knew that he was going to get the death penalty before these guys go. And Paul and the guy said, no, 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 don't do it. Don't, you know, don't kill yourself because we're here. And then he gets saved. He goes home. They share the gospel. His whole household gets saved. They all get baptized, like, at night. Like, are we, would we be willing to do that? No, 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 it's the middle of the night. No, these guys knew what this meant to be saved. And I think that that's, that's cool. You know, I remember doing a baptism once. And people didn't even plan to get baptized. They realized, I need to get baptized. I don't have a bathing suit. I'm getting in. And someone else did too. You know, it's like, just kept going. You know, uh, but I don't think Noah knew that he'd be, or I'm sorry, that all of creation got saved too. And that Noah, through this obedience, would be a part of God's salvation plan. You know, obviously, humanity is saved, but the Messiah eventually comes through this line. Um, but Noah heard the call. I believe because he was answering it in a sense before it was even given. Like David in the field with the sheep, when Samuel came to anoint the new king for Israel, when Saul went wayward, 
He was out doing what he was supposed to be doing, what God was looking for, taking care of the sheep. You know, one who would be called the son of David came from his life. God, it pleased God to promise David and assure to him that his line would live forever, would be an eternal line through Jesus. Um, and that's cool. That that's what God has for you. I mean, he loves to bless us in those things, especially when he finds us being obedient. You know, like, it's, it's just the way God is. But we see here that he's supposed to take seven of every clean animal, male and female, two of every unclean animal, male and female. That's why I always get a little bothered when they say, oh, they came two by two. Well, they did come two by two, but there was a couple more pairs of a couple more of them. Um, but last chapter, God says he's bringing two of every animal to the ark. And I think, like we picture it, uh, 995 of animals coming, <laughs> you know, uh, the week before the flood, uh, two by two. But here we see the Lord, Yahweh, commands uh, Noah to take seven of every uh, clean, you know, Seven, seven of every clean animal. You know, I think he's got a, a part in it. You know, Noah's got the part to make sure two of every kind get on board, but Noah's got the part to also make sure that these extra pairs of uh, clean animals go on. And maybe Noah had these animals already. Maybe Noah, you know, maybe Noah was a rich guy. I don't know if he was rich or poor. Obviously, he was able to figure out how to build this big ark. He's got to have some sort of resource. You know, maybe he just lives in the woods and that's his rich. Uh, but maybe he had these animals. And I think beyond that, to be the priest making sure that there are clean animals for sacrifice on board. But wait a minute. The Bible says clean animals, but have we read the law yet? Has the law been given on what is clean and unclean? Did I miss it? I mean, sincerely, show me, if I missed it, show me. We have the benefit of knowing what the rest of the scripture says. We've been through those studies where we fall asleep in Leviticus. But that wasn't given yet. We're hundreds and thousands of years, maybe, even from these laws being given and practiced and carried out uh, and written down. So then where did the sacrificial law of clean and unclean animal come from? Well, I think, and I could be wrong, I wasn't there, the Bible doesn't specifically say, but it says, I think right in Genesis 3, when God makes a sacrifice with Adam and Eve and makes their covering, perhaps he outlines some things about sacrifice there. Perhaps they were able even just to glean some things about what sacrifices, what the Lord did there, because the Lord was with them in the garden. Again, they were just talking to an invisible being and boom, they had clothes on like the Flintstones, you know? It was like God was there and, and did this with them. You know, Cain and Abel knew about sacrifice too. They knew what the right sacrifice was and what the wrong sacrifice was. And I believe Noah did too. Maybe Enoch from Methuselah taught him. This was passed down. Um, you know, I think about Job making sacrifices for her children, you know, in case they sinned that day. Uh, they knew what sacrifice. And Job was like one of the, technically one of the oldest stories in the Bible. He's not older than Noah, but, you know, they made it. Um, and they did it without expecting God to tell them to do it because it was the right thing to do. They honored God in their sacrifices, I'm sure. Noah understood what a sacrificial animal was. He understood what a clean and unclean animal was, perhaps. Um, we will get there. We can ask him. He goes, no, God told me that. Just, you know what I mean? I don't know. But I'm trying to think here. I'm picking apart and say. What is the Bible saying here? Sometimes we gloss over, we miss these things. Um, but he knew the right way to honor God, the right way to worship him. You know, Romans 7.14 says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, so I'll understand that the law isn't this bad thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's, it's a rule of laws that points out spiritual truths. You know, and this is a very important thing here, the way you worship God with sacrifice. But why seven? Well, obviously, you know, if you know anything about 
Bible numerology or whatever, that there's, it's the number of completeness. Sure, that's definitely a picture here. But how many couples are in seven? Well, I don't go by modern standards, but there's three couples. A couple is two, so there's one remainder animal. There's three couples and one left. If I'm reading correctly, I said seven compared to two. Or, you know, I think that God was setting up one to sacrifice after the flood. We'll see that later, that the, the Noah makes a sacrifice to the Lord. He sets an altar. But I think it was also something to help Noah's faith in this, that don't worry, Noah. I know you sacrificed to me. I receive your sacrifices. And I want you to know what it's all about. And that it's clear that you'll have something to celebrate when this is all over. That this is tragic. This is heavy. Imagine building a boat for 120 years knowing that the whole world is going to die. All your friends, everyone outside your immediate family, it's going to be wiped out. That's pretty heavy. Don't worry, no, there's going to be something to celebrate after this. There's some way to light a fire after all this water, Noah. That even though this is going to be totally drenched, there's going to be space for sacrifice. There's going to be space for that relationship with me. I'm not going anywhere. I've got to change things. I've got to do things. But I'm going to be on the other side of this with you. No, I'm going to take you through this. I'm going to be on the other side with this. You know, I think of Elijah, the prophets of Baal. When they're wailing all day, cutting themselves, and he goes, is your God in the bathroom? <laughs> is that why he can't come and light this for you? <laughs> I love that. That's, like, I wish I could be there and see it. Like, I think Elijah would have been from New York. <laughs> um, but when Elijah says, he says, dump all this water over and over and over on it, fills up the moat, covers the altar, it's all soaked. It says, God, show them that you're the Lord. Lightning comes down and fire comes down. Even the rocks are all burnt up. Like, no matter how much water is dumped on this situation, the fire of God is going to burn it up. It's going to burn it up. And again, I think Noah was only doing what he was already doing. You know, a lot of times... You know, we wonder why certain people get picked for certain things. Obviously, sometimes with nepotism and all that stuff. But I think sometimes they get picked for things, whether spiritual or physical, because they're already doing it. You know, at work, you know, if I've got a design, like, I'm not the boss or anything, but I'm able to pass off some stuff sometimes and help the other designers out because I've had a little, just a little more experience. Um, and the ones I, I like to give it to, I mean, obviously we have great people, all great people now, but... Uh, you know, the people are already doing the work, doing the doing it really well without even asking. And, you know, I like to give them more because I know that I don't have to worry about it. I don't think about it. And they're going to do a great job. God bless you. And I hope I can be that person for my, for my boss and for them as well, too, if they need to hand something off to me as well. But 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16 says, For we under God, a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are uh, saved and then that perish. The one we are savor of death, and the death the other savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Through the animals, love Noah. Thank you, Noah. And, you know, they don't bite the hand that feeds you, so to speak. And all the people hated Noah because he smelled like death to them. That ark was their death. You know, because they were not. But again, uh, God also was bringing two by two to make sure that the species continue on. But I think also three times two by two plus one to overly ensure that showed, in spite of all this judgment to come, that after all the death, drowning, disaster, that God's hand of fellowship and forgiveness was not over. You know, that it's not over, Noah. Yeah, we're going to bring all these animals, but I want to make sure and show you over and over and over again and assure you over and over and over again that no matter how hard this is going to be, we're going to get through this. And I know that's the Lord because, some, you know, sometimes God has to keep reminding us over and over and over, not because we don't believe, but because it's heavy, but because we need the support. 
We need the help. And I love verse 5. It says, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah didn't argue. Maybe, I don't know what Noah was feeling or thinking, but I know what Noah did. And that was all that the Lord had commanded him. And I want to say, be sure to thank Noah and the Lord, obviously, in heaven when we get there. Thanks, Noah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Appreciate you doing all that. <laughs> I had a lot of fun because he you know, kept us going. And he's going to go to the Lord. We know, but still. You know, but Hebrews 12, 1 through 4 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, like Noah, like Abraham, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Jesus resisted sin all the way to the cross, all the way to blood. We haven't gone that far yet. God bless you. I mean, I haven't bled for, maybe bled for my own sin, but I haven't, you know, like bled resisting it. And with that, we need to keep pushing on. Keep pushing on. You're not dead yet. We're not dead yet. There's still hope until that last second. There's still hope. There's more time to utilize, more life left in us yet. Noah did it. And if Noah did it, Noah kept going, I think we can too. You know, I think the flood is drastic. And not in our own strength again, I think. We rely on the Lord like Noah did. Uh, but imagine the thought of being the only people left on the other side of this torrent of water, the other side of this Red Sea, the other side of this Jordan River. There's no one there. There's no Quick Check, no McDonald's, there's no Amazon. No one. You and a, a, some of your family, no one to call. You know, you're on your own. Literally on your own. And do we obey? Everything God has commanded, when it means we're going to be on our own completely. When it means that the road, like the song says, the road is lonely, but I'm going to go with you. Do we do that? I think we need to do that. You know, uh, I imagine, you know, like, trying to imagine, I haven't seen the Great Plains really yet, but I imagine kind of Noah, I know he's in the mountains, but he gets out of the boat, he opens the door, quiet. Maybe there's a little rustling wind, maybe the sun's shining. The green is starting to pop and, and fade and come up everywhere. But there's no one there. Everyone else is behind him on the boat. Okay. This is what it would be. It's like I could have just said, oh, Lord, just let me die. And wouldn't have to deal with this. But this is what God had for him. You know, we're not there yet. And I think that that will seem more like heaven on earth after we see the depths overtaken all that. That even though that seems bleak, even though it seems lonely, even though that seems lifeless, I think after we see the flood and what it looks like compared to the flood, it's going to look like heaven. Let's go on. Let's read uh, five more verses and we'll close. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went in the ark to Noah, uh, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. I think God just likes saying Noah's name over and over. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. I think we see a change of pace here. It kind of reminds me of the perspective changes of the first couple of chapters of Genesis. Um, 
I think, you know, I think of those camera angles that go wide, close, you know, there's this law in filmmaking that a shot shouldn't be any more in 10 seconds and you watch, like, I don't know if you've ever seen like a music video, but it's like every like half a second, it's like seizure music, you know, because they want to keep your attention, keep it going, keep the energy up. Um, I think God through the writer here in some way does that, like, this is heavy, let's take a step back and get a different angle here. Um, I think when life is heavy, we need to switch gears now and then. Uh, like when doing uh, the weed whacker, it's not a, the joy of a backpack, but I switch arms now and again. At first, it was like, when I first started doing it, I wasn't used to doing it. I'm weak. I mean, Ashley holds the babies, and she was telling me how, like, her one arm feels stronger than the other. I'm like, your one arm is stronger than both my arms. I can't hold the baby that long. Uh, but, you know, you switch arms. And that's specifically why I look for a backpack lower, because I don't want to carry that thing around. I'm lazy. I mean, it's the easy way. I don't want to rake. It's got to be easy for me. Um, but I think the same thing, like in spiritual ways, sometimes we need to switch gears a little bit. Sometimes it's a little heavy, sometimes, you know, you read through Leviticus, it's a little heavy. All right, take a night off and go read some, you know, Colossians or something and come back to it. You know, we, you know, you don't need to beat yourself up. Sometimes you need to take a little breather. But I think here we see in verse 6 that Noah was 600 years old and he still had time left in him. You know, but he was no spring chicken. I mean, I know that they lived longer back in the day. Food was all organic. You know, that they had the canopy, water canopy above them. But he was 600. Building an ark for 120 years. I mean, no way day. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. But God's not done with you. No, it was 600. Oh, you're 80. I mean, when I'm 80, you know, probably made a greeter at Walmart or something. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't have a time to plan. But uh, you're 80, big deal. No offense. A big deal. Keep going. None of us are 80 in here, so I can say that and not get too dirty looks. Uh, but keep going. Keep going. You know, when the floodwaters were on the earth, you know, you can almost hear the writer there saying, "No, it was 600 when the floodwaters were on the earth." You know, writing it somberly, maybe to his peers. You know, like when I was sharing recently in 9/11 with my kids about 9/11 when the towers had fallen. I shared it with them. I didn't go into all the specifics, but begin to share with them a little bit. Every year as they get older, but it's somber, you know? I think the same thing when the flood waters on the earth. That it was a big deal. It wasn't just, oh, the flood, that was cute. God, God judged everybody. God drowned everybody. And I know that Enoch, I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead here. But they went in because of those flood waters. You know, that Noah's family wasn't in a rush to get out. Noah didn't finish like 100 years early. They're all like up on deck, you know, having their... You know, Virgin Mary, whatever, whatever drink they have. I don't know that's Virgin. But uh, they weren't in a rush to get out. They weren't already on the boat having that party, not caring about the world that was about to die. I think they basically got on the storm hit. You know, oh, here it comes. Let's get in. Um, and again, I think this is where I was before. I know Enoch is a better picture of the church where he walks with God and he's raptured. I think in some sense we can still glean here that this is a good picture of the rapture, at least in our witness, that we need to be right up until the very last moment. Right up until the tribulation, and we're gone. That's our responsibility. That was their responsibility, you know. Um, it's important. We not slack off for these last days. Uh, but the Lord, I feel like, you know, that verse before about that that should comfort us about the Lord pressed on and others pressed on. In the same sense, like, um, it's a comfort. I heard it said this week at a teaching. You know, these things are a comfort that the Lord is coming back soon. You know, it's heavy, dark days, but man, it's comforting. It's exciting. No, God's coming back soon, so this isn't going to be forever. But verse, verse 8 says the, the creeping things. 
You know, they were seriously, God, God saved the bugs. God put the bugs on the arch. No, thank you. You know, I had to kill two giant, like, centipedes, like, you know, those things with the main legs that run around in spiders. One, I killed one. I said, thanks for your service and killing all those spiders, but you can't be here. <laughs> I don't want you crawling on my leg later. Uh, but, you know, can you sleep knowing that there's a big bug in the house? Or if there was a snake in the house? Or if there was a lion in the basement? Like, I don't know if I could sleep on the ark. I, like, I had trouble sleeping in Middletown. I don't know if I could sleep with all this going on. But get them off. You know, Ham, did you lock the spider cages twice? You know, could they make a net small enough to hold the spider back? Like, I don't know. Uh, Shem, are you sure the snakes are in their pen? Japheth, why are you petting that? Get it away from me. You know, like, I don't want anything to do with any of that. But God saved them because there was a plan for him. I'm glad, but I don't want to be a part of that plan. But it, it took a week to load up. You know, a week for Noah to get on the boat. They all came to him. A week for the boat, for the doors to be closed. You know, it reminds me a lot of the tribulation. A week of seven, of seven years, a week of years, like uh, the prophecies talk about Daniel. Um, but God is gracious even down to the last week. You know, they don't just run on, sneak on at night, and then everyone goes, wait a minute, are those animals on the ark? How come the doors closed? God gave them opportunity. You know, I remember packing for the Montana trip. Um, I started in advance, and it was the most stress-free packing I've ever done because I took like two weeks to make sure I didn't forget everything. I had everything I needed. Um, you know, and I, I hope to continue that. It wasn't, it, wasn't so, it wasn't bad for North Carolina, but it wasn't as good. And I hope the next time I take a trip, um, I won't wait till the last minute. Um, you think of Home Alone, when they're all running around, they forget their son because they're running, you know, the, alarm, the power went out, the alarm didn't go off, you know, they were rushing around. Uh, that's, uh, I don't think that movie would come out today because <laughs> they'd probably go to jail. As soon as they make the phone call, they all go to jail and Kevin's in the false room. Uh, but, <laughs> but sincerely, people are watching. They saw the boat be finally built. Um, they saw Noah's forest was now empty of trees. Uh, but they see Noah actually get in the boat. You know, was he done right at the last minute? Was he, like, putting nails in right up until that last minute? All right, it's time to load everybody up. Um, you know, I, th I think so in a way. I don't think it was because he was irresponsible and he waited until the last minute to build the ark. I'm glad he didn't wait until the last minute. If God told me that he had 120 years, I might wait 119 to start cutting down trees. You know, I, oh, I got a little time. You know, it's not due until next week, you know. Uh, that's not the, the way to be. And I, I find that even at work, I need to, you know, that that's, that's what helps me get stuff done, is making sure I don't wait until the last minute. Um, but I think that even if he was done 20 years earlier, that he would have spent the last 20 years going over it, double-checking it, reinforcing it, putting more tar and pitch on it, making sure that everything had been taken care of, double, triple-checking his list, getting more canned goods at Costco, whatever he was going to do. Like, he was going to do that because he had that responsibility. And Noah was a responsible guy. And with that being a responsible guy, he took responsibility for this, that this was his duty, his family's job to get this done. And they, didn't, they weren't going to miss a, a, a period or a, anything anywhere. You know, not want jot or tittle would pass away. You know, but we see that God had a week of creation. Now there's this last week before the destruction, before the flood, before judgment. But it says, in the, it says here that it says it came to pass. You know, that, like we talked about earlier, that it was going to happen, and it did happen. The flood waters would come, and this was it. This was the moment that was going to happen. You know, I think like leaving for a vacation. You know, you plan for so long. You look forward. You look at the brochure. You watch the video. You know, you're excited. You put it on your calendar. You tell your friends. You get all your stuff together. You get new flip-flops on Amazon, whatever you do. You know, you're excited. And then the day comes. 
The morning comes, you're loading up the car, you're getting in the car, you're going, this is it, and you get there. I can't believe I'm actually here, you know? And, you know, turn off your phone, don't, don't call me work, you know? Like, I'm here, I'm on vacation. You know, I think about getting married and all that preparation and all that busyness, and thank you so much for getting all more soda when it ran out, you know? <laughs> but, sincerely, that morning, the peace I had was like, why couldn't I have had this the past two months of planning? <laughs> Building favors, like, did I really need to do that stuff? But really, the peace of God that morning was amazing. You know, but having nine kids, no. <laughs> having kids waiting nine months, you know, then they're there, you know? You don't know it's like to have kids, and you're, oh, then you have kids. Like, wow, I got a chance. How do I do this? <laughs> it's a, you know, it's amazing. It's a blessing. That's funny, right, Alicia? Yeah. You're like, mommy does everything. Uh, our, but our responsibility is believing that what God says will happen when it hasn't happened yet will happen. But that's our responsibility, believing that God will do what he says he will do. Because if we don't believe it, who's going to believe it? I mean, it's like, it's up to us. You know, the day will come that we hear the trumpet sound. You know, the angels believe and they tremble, the scripture says. The bad angels are doing everything they can to try and thwart that day when the Lord comes. Because they know it, but they don't believe it. They believe it, you know, but the, the other angels, they know it. They know it, and we should know it too. But the day will come when we'll hear that trumpet sound, guys. The day will come. You know, we should live in expectation when that fire whistle goes off by your house or whatever. Is that, oh, it's not it. You know, every once in a while, like, is that, no, it's not it. Is my wife's still here? All right. <laughs> you know, it wasn't it. But that day is going to come, guys. You know, either we're going to die and stand before God, or we're going to hear that trumpet. We're seeing that day, I think sometimes we know it and we think it, but we don't realize that like it's going to come, like it's a day on a calendar, and like that silly guy who gives a bad name to Christianity talks about the tribulation starting yesterday. Bro, read the rest of the scripture. It says no man knows the day or the hour. I can tell you right away it ain't going to happen yesterday. God knew from before the foundation of the earth that you were going to be a knucklehead, and he said it's not going to happen. So maybe it'll happen today. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, that, that was the Lord. Come, give me your money. No, <laughs> no, don't. I'm not responsible for that. Um, but that day will come when my kids grow up and they move out or they move on. That day may come. You know, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but in some way, that day may come when my wife passes. We were talking about this recently, or I'm left old and toothless to binge watch Netflix by myself. But, you know, or like you know, thinking about life insurance for myself. If something happens to me, like a day could come, and to pretend that it, it can't come or won't come, I think it's kind of foolish. And not to live in the fear that oh, it's going to come, but at least to think about these things that are impossibilities. But again, I hope and I pray that the rapture comes first. But with that, what am I doing today? And hopefully, closing your thinking. But uh, Ephesians 5.14 says, Wherefore he says, Awake you that sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, and that idea is this idea of like you'd be walking through a minefield, um, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the will of the Lord. Walk circumspectly. He can come back at any moment, live with that expectation, and live rightly according to that, like Noah. You know, Proverbs 6, 9 through 11 says, How long will you sleep, O sluggard? When will thou arise out of sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little fold of your hands asleep. If I, when I wake up and I do this, it's like, I, that verse is just in my head, and I go, all right, I gotta get up. You know, it's like for some reason you just lay there and do this, and it's like, that's it. 
so shall your poverty come on you as one that travaileth and want as an armed man. That, you know, if we're lazy too much, our want's going to show up at the door. We're not going to get fired. We're not going to be able to pay the bills. And all of a sudden, we've got this want because we weren't responsible. I'm not saying that's any of you, but I feel like, man, I think we all need to be more responsible. I definitely need to be. I had to, like, there's, like, things I was thinking about, like, man, I'm so irresponsible. And, like, things that might seem little, but, it, you know, as far as, like, I confess that, like, I get up in the morning, but I don't get up, like, an hour before I go to work. I get up, like, 15 minutes. Sometimes five. Sometimes I oversleep. And, I, get, you know, it's, like, 9 o'clock, and I go downstairs. i got to rush past my kids to say, I'll come back. And it's, like, is it bad necessarily? I don't know. But, like, it's not better. Not the best. It wasn't always like that. So pray for me. You know, I don't, I don't want to just... Because, you know what? Because work's not my first responsibility. The Lord's my first responsibility. I do my devotions. Don't get it wrong or anything like that. But, like, my first responsibility is that. Not making sure that I'm at work on time. It's making sure that I'm before the Lord. And I get a moment with my family. That's one thing I miss. Like, I love working at home, and I think it's fantastic. But one aspect of, like, having to get up and go to work was, like, at least I had a... You know, I was awake a little bit before... I left and had, you know, even 30 seconds with my kids. And I get it with them. I get up. We have breakfast and stuff sometimes. But um, sincerely, you know, we need to be responsible. You know, God doesn't want us to, to miss out on this life. You know, not going to be rich necessarily in this life, but God has a lot for us. And I think sometimes spiritually sluggard, we go, oh, it's not for me. Uh, I can do it later. But maybe you can. Isn't it better to obey now than obey later? I think we must be responsible um, and I think every day being responsible means just getting up at least. Some days you just don't want to get up. And it takes all you got in you. And every prayer, just to wake up and get out of bed and go to work again and do what you got to do. And that's really the first choice. Um, that's kind of what I was sharing before. But, you know, will you wake up with me spiritually? I feel like God has been awakening me. I'm not, you know, I'm not woke and I'm not enlightened in that sense. Like, don't get me wrong, but like, man, like, there really is a need, and I really am responsible for this faith that God has given me. And I, I think you guys are woke, too, because you're here. You know, the alarm is going off, and it has been, you know. I think sometimes we try and snooze that spiritual alarm, but that's not good for us spiritually. Like, you might be able to get away with it a couple times in real life, but you snooze that spiritual alarm, and I believe that's, in a sense, questioning the Holy Spirit. As we close here, I just want to read the lyrics to the song by Leland. And I'm not, like, so much into the song... You know, it's a little too poppy for me uh, in style, but I think a lot of times guys like Leland and Keith Green and stuff, like it's like their music is just too convicting to like want. <laughs> so I, yeah, uh, no, all right, you're right. <laughs> we'll go do something else in my day now. <laughs> but this is the the song. It's uh, called "The Great Awakening," and I'm not gonna sing it for you. <laughs> but it says sincerely, one man wakes. And awakens another. Second one wakes his next door brother. Three awake can rouse a town and turn the whole place upside down. Many awake will cause such a fuss. It finally awakes all of us. One man wakes with dawn in his eyes. Surely then it multiplies. Surely then it multiplies. Amen? Father, we love you. God, that's because you first loved us. Thank you for taking responsibility for us and our sin on the cross. God, forgive us. Help us not just to say we sin, but to confess it to you. 
seek you to change us. So change us, God, not that we might be holier than thou to others, but that we might be there to minister to others. So, God, we love you and we thank you for your grace. And, God, we thank you for my family here today. God, that we're all your family and that we're in this together. And, God, you're going to bring us home one day. So help us live in light of that. And, God, would you, in our lives and the arcs that you're building in our lives, so to speak, please, God, let people on. Don't let us be the only one to get on and shut the door. God, we'd be thankful for that. We are, but please let others uh, come to you, especially our family, our whole household would be saved. Uh, our friends, co-worker, God, let us be the witness that you want us to be. God, where we fail, you don't expect us to make up for it sometimes. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes we can. But God, would you cover it? And would you use it? And would you show your grace through it, God? Not um, that we might take advantage of that, but God, that we might be responsible. And you might uh, show yourself faithful to others. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Bless our day. It's your day, God. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.